When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Is your plate full? Does your cup runneth over? Do you ever feel like everything in front of you is either someone else's problem or worse, unsolvable? Well, good news. We're about to see that happen right here in a Star Trek episode. Plus, I'm going to share how you can handle those things too as we watch the 19th episode of the fifth season of Voyager, The Fight. Voyager is in chaotic space. This is a weird zone where the laws of physics don't quite apply. Now, chaotic space isn't a place, it's more of an event or a phenomenon that randomly occurs. And when it does occur, it can wreak havoc. If we don't find a way out of chaotic space, then we're going to die here. Commander Chakotay, the first officer, is in a bad way. He's hearing voices and isn't generally doing very well. He's in sickbay and the doctor's monitoring him. He tells Chakotay that there are aliens trying to communicate with him, possibly aliens that understand this part of space. But they're communicating in a way that Chakotay can't understand. The doctor thinks he knows what's going on and asks Chakotay to remember a recent boxing simulation that he was in on the holodeck. The fight was going badly. I was avoiding my opponent. His corner man is Boothby, the groundskeeper and Mickey all in one. Fight wasn't going well for him, for Chakotay, and after a while, some weird geometric shape thing appears behind his opponent. Distracted, he gets knocked right off his feet. As Chakotay reflects on the fight and remembers the weird geometric distortion, the doctor finds some stuff going on in his visual cortex. He gets called to the bridge before they can explore, though. Voyager is tracking and being chased by this phenomenon, the distorted space. It envelops them, and that's where things start to fall apart. The readings are shifting around so much I can't make heads or tails of what's out there. Seven meets with Janeway. The Borg have encountered this before. They are the ones who call it chaotic space. It's random and moves around the galaxy. In the history of the Borg, only one cube has ever survived an encounter. Things are not looking good for Voyager. And not so good for Chakotay either. He keeps hearing things, hearing things from his boxing match. 
Nobody else can hear it. Seems it's all in his head. Tuvok and Paris get him to sickbay, where the doctor finds Chakotay has a genetic cognitive disorder. The primary symptoms are visual and auditory hallucinations. The gene that causes this was suppressed before he was born, but somehow, now, it's been switched on. The doctor and Janeway believe this is because of the chaotic space. The crew gets the sensors online, and they set a course to try and escape. They come across the hull of another ship. No life signs. The logs make it sound like someone on that crew is going through or was going through something similar to Chakotay. Why do the stars make such a noise? Let me sleep. It took a full year of them being trapped before they all died. They couldn't find a way out. They ran out of supplies. Yikes, not looking good once again for Voyager. But Chakotay decides to go on a vision quest, which ramps up his hallucinations. And that's kind of awesome, really, like the whole thing. He's about to figure out exactly what's going on. The aliens, they were there, watching me. These aliens, they live in chaotic space. They're trying to help Voyager out. They were trying to help the other ship, too. There's a whole bunch of babble that ensues, and they figure out how to adapt their engines to escape. Except, it's all in the aliens' geometry. It's using their math. Then Chakotay gets another vision, a very... Very long sequence of him in a ring, then training, then being on Voyager, then getting conditioning, then more training, then chatting with his grandpa, and then back to the ring, and then he finally wakes up. It's like they tried to do like the whole orb experience thing from Deep Space Nine, and it just didn't quite hit the mark. Janeway and Seven locate a signal within chaotic space designed to alter DNA and activate genes. That is what's impacting Chakotay. Everybody's on board now that this is intentional and that someone is trying to communicate. What if those hallucinations are being induced for a purpose? Aliens who exist on some perceptual wavelength that our senses can't detect. And the only way for them to communicate with us is to alter our senses. So he goes back in, this time knowing what he's facing and what he needs to figure out. You, you are far from where you call home. You are lost. Do you understand? Yes. We are far from home. All the sequences from the vision come together. They start making sense. He's in the boxing vision and he's successfully communicating. They're talking. They explain what they need to do to escape chaotic space. Chakotay understands it. And he sets to work. After a tense few moments, we've re-entered normal space. They set out on the course he determined. And they're back on their way, and Chakotay takes the next few days off to recover. Which, kind of weirdly, he chooses to spend boxing. Because, you know, this was such an important part of his character before, and, and you know, it comes up so many more times in the future. Star Trek, like a lot of sci-fi, is full of really cool ideas. I mean... Finding a life form that exists in a different form and communicates in an entirely alien way is fascinating. It's even kind of cool. There are so many things they can do with a story and concept like that. But did the fight do those cool things? Well, let's go to the judges. Come to Gorks. Gorks is fun. Come right now. Go Gorks. Run! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. A lot of you know that I worked in professional wrestling for a long time. Right up to the COVID response, actually. Me, me stopping my work in pro wrestling is actually what led to this podcast starting. Well, I bring all that up for a couple of reasons. First, I want to talk about how they handled the boxing ring. A little about boxing rings first. We're going to get pretty nerdy here for a second. It's called the squared circle, just like we called it in wrestling. It's this solid steel structure of four posts, four beams that connect those posts into a square and then two to three beams that run parallel through the middle. Sheets of plywood are laid across those beams with, with some sort of a light padding on top. Sometimes it's like carpet padding, maybe some foam, but it's almost always pretty thin. Then they string a canvas over the top. The four posts are connected by three ropes, sometimes four in boxing, above the canvas that enclose the ring. In boxing, this just defines the boundaries. That's what the ropes do. In wrestling, you can do all kinds of cool stuff with them. Most boxing rings that you see on TV are 20 feet by 20 feet square. Some are as big as 24 feet, and some as small as 16, but, but 20 is usually what you're going to see. It's a ring like this that we see in the early and the final scenes of Chakotay in there. Very normal. Small, but clearly a training ring. Then we go into his hallucinations, his his vision, his, his phone call with the aliens, whatever, whatever you want to call it. In there, it's a three-sided ring, a triangle. Rings with sides other than four are not common. In TNA, Total Nonstop Action, when it first started, they had a six-sided ring, just like AAA does in Mexico. And of course, we know that UFC uses an octagon. But this is the first time that I have ever seen a three-sided ring. It was great for forcing an odd perspective. Even if you weren't looking at the dimensions of the ring like me, it just felt off, like not quite right. Really great set building, really great cinematography. This was really cool. But I also bring up my pro wrestling experience because I take issue with the doctor in this episode. He goes on and on many times about the barbaric nature of boxing. And while on the surface, he's not entirely wrong. I mean, just look at the laundry list of traumatic brain injuries suffered by fighters, or really just look at Muhammad Ali. He's the absolute goat, and the dude can't tie his own shoes. That said, I truly believe that combat sports are the purest expression of art and competition imaginable. The first two sports ever were running and wrestling, running from what's going to kill you, and fighting something or someone to kill it. There are cave paintings of racing and wrestling that date back over 15,000 years. In 7,000 BC, the cave paintings had crowds watching the wrestling contests. There isn't anything in these sports other than you and your opponent. And in racing, sometimes your opponent is a clock. But in both instances, your biggest opponent is yourself. I'll talk more about that in the command codes. But as time went on, other sports also followed this paradigm, right? Swimming, archery, things like that show up in cave paintings around, around 10,000 BC. 
Now, I know you're probably thinking that swimming, archery, running, these are a lot different than combat sports. And I totally agree. You're a lot less likely to break a bone or get a concussion doing those sports. And while running and swimming can push a person to their limit, they can't do it quite the same way that combat sports does it. When you're in a fight, you are literally fighting for every single breath you take because you don't necessarily know if you'll get another one. You have to best yourself while staying on guard and defending against an opponent. When done with rules, with respect and honor, combat sports are beautiful. Many classic martial arts follow this model, as do Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestling. I want to highlight these against boxing or even martial arts because there's no striking in these forms of wrestling. It's all grappling, an exchange of holds, counterholds, and reversals. Now, yes, injury is absolutely a possibility, but not to the extent that getting punched in the face repeatedly can cause. No, in wrestling, it's just two people, often in peak physical condition, giving their all, grappling with their opponent, and fighting with themselves. It's, it's beautiful to behold. In fact, that's why professional wrestling, even now, at the end of 2023 when I record this, is a multi-billion dollar industry. WWE recently sold to Endeavor, which also owns UFC, for a whopping $9.3 billion. That is billion with a B. People love this stuff, even if they won't admit it, because it combines this primal, natural struggle that has played out in wrestling matches for over 15 millennia with the universally desired story of good versus evil. It's Shakespeare in the round. It transcends culture and language. The nuances may be different, but you'll find pro wrestling in every corner of the world, and it's going to look familiar anywhere you go. Heck, <laughs> it's the Catholic Church of entertainment. So, the doctor isn't entirely wrong. Boxing is absolutely a dangerous sport, but it is not barbaric. In fact, it and the other combat sports may be the purest expression of our humanity that is possible. And I'm sure that a couple thousand of you are screaming at your phone right now about how wrong and ridiculous I am, and that's, that's cool. It's totally fine. But I think you're mad because you know I'm right. Just kidding. Kinda. Maybe not. Okay. Anyway, back to the episode. Two little bits of trivia on this one. First, we get a Chakotay vision quest. Akuchimoya. Most people feel one way or another about those, but they are a thing in Voyager, so I wanted to point that out. And second, do you remember our old pal Boothby? He showed up in Next Generation and in Voyager, even, even recently, kind of, in, in Lower Decks at the time I record this. He's the groundskeeper at Starfleet Academy that mentors all the up-and-comers. Well, this is his final appearance in live-action Star Trek. Who knew he was a brilliant cornerman on top of being an awesome groundskeeper and mentor? Wonder why they don't have an emergency Boothby hologram to help out on starships. Hmm, maybe I should write a letter. It was in this episode, though, that he may have given his most valuable nugget of wisdom, his most lasting and impactful piece of advice when he called Chakotay... Chakotay, the Marquis Mahler. Yeah, honestly, this episode is basically garbage. A cool idea, but totally dropped the ball on execution. I was bored... I was confused. Those are not good combinations for TV. Poor, poor Robert Beltran only had a few days to prep for this. And despite his best efforts, yeah, it shows. Aside from the cool stuff that I'm about to share, 
I'd call this one a hard skip. Command codes verified. Leaders have so many things flying at them at the same time. It can be overwhelming. Other people's problems often somehow become your problem. People come to you for solutions, and who better to give the unsolvable problems to than you, the highly effective leader? I'm going to share how Janeway handles this with grace and with wild efficacy. I'll show you how you can do the same, but first, I want to pick up on a topic that I just talked about a few moments ago. The question of, who are you fighting? Your opponent, or your problem or issue, or are you fighting yourself? The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Earlier, I said that the greatest thing Boothby ever did was dub Chakotay the Maquis Mahler. That's a fun thing to say, Maquis Mahler. But it really wasn't the best thing he ever said. I was being facetious. In fact, he said a thing in this very episode that just might take that title. That's the contest. It's not against him. It's against your own natural human desire not to get hurt. That's the real fight. So often in our lives, both our at-work lives and our real lives, we feel like we're facing some adversary, a powerful opponent of some kind. When we have a budget proposal to make, for example, we might see the CFO or even your manager as an obstacle to overcome, an enemy to defeat. And while yes, you ultimately need them to make a decision, and hopefully that decision is to approve, right? What you really need is to take on yourself and be sure that you're giving your best. I have an example on this that I love sharing, but I'm going to save that for a few minutes. Before I get to that, and just to tease it a little, it's a story that absolutely 100% reframed and reshaped my entire approach to leadership and maybe even in living my life. But that's in a little bit. First, I want to take Boothby's question and personalize it a little more. I want to draw from real life a little here. At our core, we're all really just super cool versions of ourselves that want to do awesome things. Deep down, we're not bothered by responsibilities, bills, deadlines, relationships, kids, traffic, internet outages, waiting forever for the next season of Star Trek to drop, wondering if we remembered to match our belt to our shoes, hoping, hoping there's an open seat on the train in the morning, or having enough time to focus and listen to the latest episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Nope. We're all just little dreamers wrapped in shells that worry about all those things. My question, though, and really what Boothby's question is, too, is why aren't we out achieving those dreams that we have? Why are we focused on all those other things, often moving our dreams to the side? Maybe next year, we'll say, or I'll go for that thing after I pay this other thing off, or whatever creative excuse we come up with. The reason we avoid those dreams is because we're fighting the context against the construct of life in our society instead of fighting the fears that we have, fighting our desire to not get hurt. Chakotay is doing everything right in his sparring session in this scene. His opponent isn't landing any punches, and he's staying competitive when he should be taking some hits to tire the dude out so he can drop him. It's a sound strategy that has worked a lot of times. It's even worked for Boothby. But Chakotay doesn't do that. He doesn't take those hits. Why? Because it hurts to do that. And he doesn't want to get hurt. You know that you need to do X, Y, and Z to accomplish the thing you really want to. 
But that might mean taking some hits. Maybe it means losing an income while you focus on this thing. Maybe it means skipping out on the fantasy league this year so you have the time you need. Maybe it means walking away from the comfortable life that you're living right now. All of those things hurt. And again, just as a reminder, in case you needed one, we do not want to hurt. Here's the big question I pose to you then. What hurts more? Missing your fantasy league or never writing that book? Scrimping and saving or never developing that app or pulling your startup together? Living a comfortable life or never knowing what it would be like to live your dream life? What are you avoiding because you're afraid of getting hurt? Answer that question and then ask yourself the big one. Does it hurt more to lose the thing you're holding on to? Or does it hurt more to never achieve or accomplish the thing you think and dream about all the time? Wow. I'm not sure if that was motivational or depressing. I suppose the answer to that really shows what fight we're fighting at the moment, doesn't it? I might need to sit with that one for a minute. My next topic rolls right out of that. Okay, this is where my example comes into play. This is a time when I was fighting the right fight, but my goal was misdirected. I wasn't really fighting for the right reason, or I guess, I guess it's more that I didn't understand what the real reason and purpose of the fight was. The year was 2009. A young and idealistic Jeff Aiken was participating in his first state legislative session. It was the beginning of a storied career that's actually still going on. There were a series of bills introduced that were intended to improve the quality of life and care in long-term care facilities. To this day, I believe that all of the bills, each and every one, were intended to do good. None of them wanted to hurt anyone. But you remember that saying about roads being paved with good intentions? Yeah, well, this is a great example of that. I'm not going to go into the specific details on this because right now, at the end of 2023 as I record this, I am still working to clean up the impacts from one of these bills. So hopefully there'll be a final chapter to the story yet to be written that'll be happy for everyone. That bill and the package that, again, with the best of intentions, was going to and has hurt a lot of people created absolutely unrealistic standards that dramatically reduced the amount of people that could or would want to provide care in these settings. We're talking nursing facilities, in-home care, assisted living facilities, you know, things like that. My job was to put together data and help lobbyists tell the stories that would either support or oppose these bills. And I was able to beautifully illustrate that with this specific bill. Now, maybe spoiling the end of the story a little bit, that was the fight I should have focused on. Instead, I fought the fight to stop this bill from passing. And my opponent, an up-and-coming state representative that had hung their political hat on this very bill. And to be fair, this bill did do some really positive things, but it unintentionally set up these unrealistic standards. So picture it. It's literally Jeff versus the massive political aspirations of a very well-respected legislator. As an aside, this whole experience was super valuable. I learned so much and got so much practice in how our legislative processes actually work. And here's how it all went. I put together reports, forecasts, graphs, pictures. I rounded up experts and the people impacted. We crafted testimony that would tell the story behind the data I gathered because facts tell 
and stories sell. I ended up in this legislator's office having some less formal discussions, asking questions, trying to help them understand the impacts. This went on for like five months, lots of hearings on the bill, and I felt really good about the work I'd done. Remember though, this is my first legislative session, and I'm just now starting to understand how all of this works. The bill passes out of committee. That was disappointing, but not unexpected. This legislator had a lot of influence over that committee. In fact, in the next session, she became the chair of it. So then it goes to the floor for the vote that matters. Fails to pass, it's dead. If it passes, pending the governor's signature, it becomes law. I had worked my butt off. I'd built relationships across every political line you can imagine. So I was eager to watch this bill die a brutal death. Childishly, I was looking forward to seeing the representative's face when that went down. Not a good look, I know, but like I said, I was so young. Well, the roll is called. The votes are being cast. No. No. I. 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 Wait, there are a lot of eyes going on here. I'm sure it's okay. Oh, there's another no. Oh, there's another one. Okay, okay, cool. Just a small group of supporters. Wait, no, no. More eyes. And they keep coming. More. No. No. The bill passed. I can't believe it. I'm flabbergasted. Blown away. Furious. And and honestly, I was hurt. I couldn't believe it. I started beating myself up. Where? Where did I mess up? Should I have said a thing that I didn't say? Did I miss the right person to bring up and testify? How? How did I fail? How did I lose this fight? One of the lobbyists I worked with called me a few minutes after the vote. They've been doing this stuff for a long time. They actually retired just a few years after this. But he calls up and he asks how I'm doing. How how am I doing? Terrible. Can you believe this? Ah, I'm sorry. I totally failed. And he says, okay, this, this is where the awesome starts in this story. He says, hmm, I didn't realize you voted on this bill. Um, no, of, of course I didn't. I, I am not a legislator. Well, you sure sound like you think you did. Let me ask you this. Did you have a vote or were you the one that made the bill pass? No. What did you do? What were you responsible for? Telling the story, gathering and sharing the data, making the justifiable case that this is bad law. Well, did you do that? Yeah, I did. And you did it really well. Sounds like a win to me. He helped me see that we can only control what we can control. And when we know what we can control, we can measure and actually be successful. It's really, it's really about choosing which fight you're going to fight and how much of yourself you're going to invest in those fights as a leader. We have a lot of stuff flying at us all the time. In fact, when people tell me they want to get into management, I, I ask them why, and not in the why do you want to pursue this career path kind of way more in the, why would you want to do that to yourself kind of way, depending on how old they are. I'll ask them if they remember that video game asteroids, you know, the one you're a little spaceship and a bunch of asteroid rock looking things are floating towards you. You either blow them up or they blow you up. So I ask if they remember that. And if, if they do, I tell them that management is like being that little ship. But you can only destroy some of the asteroids, and all of them can blow you up. Your job is to determine which ones you can take out and which ones you just need to ignore and get out of the way of. Now, that's a really, 
really nerdy and fun way of saying control what you can control or control the controllables. You probably heard this before. It's, it's a very common platitude, but most people don't practice this at all. They might say it, but then they focus on and freak out over the asteroids they can't destroy. This phrase has its roots in the Stoic philosopher Epictetus's Enchiridion, where he introduces the dichotomy of control. That dichotomy is, on one hand, to control the controllables, right? There's, there's the saying. And on the other hand, let go of the things you cannot control. It's pretty profound, yeah? I mean, think about it. All the things that are outside of your control, what, what other people think of us, the results of an election or a vote on a bill, fluctuating market conditions, the weather, your placement in chaotic space, your project manager resigning in the middle of a project, the lunch rush on a Tuesday afternoon. I mean, this list can go on for hours, days even. And according to Epictetus, there are exactly two things that we have control over. That's it. Those are our voluntary actions and how we think about things. Now, in the 85th episode of the podcast, Enterprise Anomaly, I go into more detail and share some strong anecdotes on this concept. Today, though, I want to talk about how you can channel your inner Janeway, focusing on what you have control over in the face of a crisis. Let me paint the picture. Voyagers cruising along when, bam, they find themselves in the middle of an anomaly. Chaotic space. It defies all the laws of physics and logic that we have all come to accept. The ship is all but lost, and it's pandemonium. The crew is trying to study readouts. They're scanning whatever. They're trying to do sensor stuff. You know, all the, all the Star Trek things that you do. Now, in the middle of all this, Janeway is as cool as can be. She isn't freaking out or yelling or running all over the place. No, she's in the astrometrics lab reviewing objective data, even though the people around her are starting to spiral. It goes like this. The problem is here. Changes in the gravitational coefficient will cause sudden shear forces against our hull. Shields will protect us, but only for a time. How much time? Unknown. We've got to recalibrate the sensors, redesign them if necessary. Otherwise, we're flying blind. Let's get to work. There's panic. It's basically a zoo that's on fire around her, and she parses through all the smoke, all the noise, to find what they have control over. She also focuses the team on value-added activity, which will help them be more calm and focused instead of running around trying to stack marbles in a corner. So here's the strategy that you can put into place that'll help you show up the way Captain Janeway does here. Now, first, be aware of and clarify what is actually controllable and then communicate this with your team. Now is not the time to be keeping secrets. Transparency is key. Then, like in the clip, focus on actionable tasks. What can actually be done in the moment that's helpful? Encourage the team with small and achievable goals. In the clip, Janeway doesn't tell them to go scan this and analyze that and go here and go there. She just directs them to get the sensors up and running, get them functional. When they achieve those goals, you celebrate. Wins matter. And by celebrating them, you're demonstrating the value in controlling what can be controlled. And overall, empower your teams to problem solve without you being directly involved. Trust them. Let them do the things that you've hired them to do and that they're so, so very capable of doing. This also allows you to focus on the bigger picture. What's working? What's not? 
what needs to be adjusted. Is there anything new that's a controllable thing or is something now outside of your control? To stay on the example from Janeway, let's say the sensor array gets blown off the ship and it's scattered across chaotic space. Those sensors are no longer controllable for you because you've empowered the people you work with. They're off doing all the great things while you adapt and adjust based on the changing conditions. Sensors literally don't exist, no longer are controllable. What's the next controllable thing that we can shift our focus to? And then you follow the strategy again, right? You've just clarified or re-clarified what's controllable. You can develop with the help of your team's small and actionable tasks and then celebrate in a very real way. This lines up with the PDCA cycle. PDCA is plan, do, check, act. First, you plan what you're going to do, and then you do it. Then you check in on how well the thing you're doing achieves your goals, and then you act on what you learn from the checking. And then the cycle continues. Plan based on the new information. Do the new stuff you planned. Check how it's going, and then act on the feedback from checking what you've been doing. PDCA. Powerful tool. So you can channel your inner Janeway or Epicetus or whomever works for you by focusing yourself and your team on what you can control. You can do that. You too will find your way out of chaotic space. This episode is releasing just after the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. So I want to thank you. The fact you're even hearing this right now means so much to me. I appreciate the fact that you allow me to combine two of my passions, solid leadership and Star Trek. Thank you for being here. And with us being in the heart of the holiday season, I want to ask you to do me and the podcast a huge favor. Share the show. You know someone that would benefit from the lessons or would enjoy the take on Star Trek? Share the podcast with them. Do you work with someone that's aspiring to leadership or is new in a leadership role? Share the podcast with them. Do you, do you have a terrible boss that makes you hate coming into work every day? Well, share it with them too. Whatever app you're listening to right now has a share button. Just click it. Like right now. Pull over, park, get yourself to a safe spot. I don't want any collisions or anything happening. Get your phone out. Click that share button and send it to them. You could be making a significant impact on someone's career or on the well-being of a team, and you will absolutely be supporting the Starfleet Leadership Academy. You can also share my social medias with people. I'm on Twitter and Mastodon at SFLA Podcast, and Instagram and threads at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff, T as in the Maquis Mahler, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? The 11th episode of the second season of the original series, The Deadly Years. If you're familiar with TOS, you know this episode. It's the one when the crew all get old. It's an early look at Star Trek's old makeup, which, which does not go well in the early TNG attempts. I'm looking at you, too short a season. Yeah, I see you. The crew's lives are on the line in this high-stakes episode. I'm curious to see what leadership skills are highlighted as they work through this, and I'm even more excited to do that with you. So until then, ex astra scientia.
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.